you guys aren't like other churches where the shepherd's the way the sheep will play. Uh, you guys are, were good. You guys all came to church. Everybody was there. It was great. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we missed it. We we're so thankful. Um, I joked on uh, Facebook, I feel like, you know, we've been in Exodus and Moses, um, you know, with his staff uh, and God divided the Red Sea for them to walk right through it. I feel like that was one of my concerns, like, hey, we're coming back the day before Easter. And what's the traffic going to be like? What's the road going to be like? And God just went, whoo, I'm going to divide. No traffic, no construction. It was like just 13 hours, and we got, it was like record trips. So we were thankful to be back. So thank you. If you prayed for us, it works. All right, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, I want to begin this message taking you back. Um, this is kind of what we call Holy Week. We had Good Friday. Uh, and then on um, Thursday, the night before Good Friday, that's the night that uh, Jesus um, had his uh, Last Supper uh, with his disciples. But there was a time in which he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus impresses a truth upon all Christians today that I don't want you to miss. I want you to get this. So I want to take you back to this, and I want to read this to you in Matthew 26. In Jesus' darkest hour, I want you to know what he needed the most. I mean, this is just before his death. He knows he's going to the cross. In his darkest hour, what did Jesus need more than anything else? So you just listen to the scripture, and you pick out and figure out what it is. This is Thursday night before the cross. Matthew 26, verse 36. I'm just going to read it. It's not on the screen. Just, just listen. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. The three guys were kind of in his inner circle. And Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to these three, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. Stay awake with me. Going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, and he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came back to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. He says to Peter, so you could not stay awake with me just one hour? Watch, stay awake, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them again, he went away, and he prayed a third time, saying the same words. And he came back to his disciples and said, wake up. You can sleep later. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's get going. So in Jesus' darkest hour, what did he need more than anything else? What was he asking for? And the answer is, his friends to pray with him, support him, stay awake with him. That's what he wanted. This is why every Christian needs to belong to a local church. 
It's why you need solid Christian friends. Mature Christians that will pray with you to be there for you. And that's the beauty of a healthy church. And that's honestly what we do here at Life of Purpose. We've been doing that for a long time. We intercede for one another. We petition God on one another's behalf. And if you need prayer, don't leave today without getting prayer. We have a prayer team that comes up after service that that mingles around and will pray for you. If you need prayer at any point throughout the week, this is what you do. You text the word pray, P-R-A-Y, to our number, which is on our program, it's everywhere, it's on our website, and a link will come up, you follow it, you fill out the form, and immediately an email is sent to me to begin praying with you, to our prayer team to begin praying with you and for you. And honestly, if Jesus needed his friends to pray for him, then you need your friends to pray for you too. Amen? All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, may your word today come forth as gold. May may it press upon our hearts. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. Lord, may we enjoy the fact that you have risen that you have come to this earth and died for us so we can be forgiven. But you didn't stay dead. You rose again. And that is just a beautiful thing, Lord. We thank you for that. Let, us that, let that be our focus. Let our eyes be fixed on you, Jesus, as you've been lifted high. I pray this in your name. And the church said together, Amen. Now, if you've been coming here to Life of Purpose for a little while, you kind of know what we're all about. We're here to help you get closer to God, to understand the Bible, to love one another. That's our kind of our motto, if you will. And in order to help you understand the Bible, I teach on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And we're in Exodus on Sundays, and we're in Romans on Wednesdays. But here in Exodus, we've been here for a little while, we'll be here for a while, God's timing, though, is, is impeccable, isn't it? I mean, you, we say that all the time, but when God shows up, it's just wonderful. Today's message, I read it, you know, I plan out the messages weeks, uh, months in advance, and, and just kind of know where I'm going to be, and, and when I looked at this message and said, wow, this falls on Easter, and it's like, hmm... That's really not an Easter message, you know, first glance, first read. Maybe I'll just, you know, preach an Easter message and just push, push this off until um, another Sunday or late, you know, the next Sunday. But as I read it and I studied it, my eyes were opened to the truth, and I pray that he opens your eyes to the same truth. It's only going to take me a couple hours to do this. You have flexibility in your schedule today, Right? That the, no, no timing on your brunch reservations, you're good? Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, don't worry. We'll get you out on time. So, the text is Exodus 17. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 15. If you'd like a free Bible, we have them for you. Um, I just spent, spent the week with uh, a friend of ours. Uh, he, he stays in Myrtle uh, Beach, and he's the one who donates the Bibles for us to uh, give away. And we've given them away all over the country. Actually, we mail them out to people, but they're here for you. They're the little blue ones. There's some in the back. If you'd like to take one home, you're welcome to have it. Um, we have more in the office if you need them. But uh, if you want to open up your Bible, you can. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. 
The title, though, of the message, let's go back to the title slide, if you would, The Lord is My Banner. Um, That is going to be the last verse, The Lord is My Banner. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have heard that name of God before? The Lord is My Banner? A few. Okay, good. Your eyes are going to be open to something new today. Fantastic. Uh, By the way, that, that translation, The Lord is My Banner, that's our English translation, five words. But the Hebrew translation, the Bible was written, the Old Testament in Hebrew. If you spoke Hebrew, then I would just say to you, Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh Nisi, spelled N-I-S-S-I. Yahweh is spelled Y-H-W-H, no vowels. Um, And so I would uh, say that. Now, the uh, name of God, we covered this back when Moses was introduced to God as Yahweh. Yahweh means the self-existing God. In fact, he said, I am who I am, and Jesus quotes that in the New Testament. I am who I am. But Yahweh has no vowels, so I could be pronouncing it wrong. You know, you could pronounce it another way, and it might be right. There were no vowels. They added vowels, and in fact, they added a third vowel in the 16th century. And that pronunciation of Yahweh then became Jehovah. How many of you have heard Jehovah as a name for God? That's the same as Yahweh, it's just with vowels, folks, all right? So I might say Yahweh Nisi or Jehovah Nisi, and that's the name of God that means the Lord is my banner. You following me? All right. I try to be uh, the best teacher that I can be for the Lord. So the names of God are important. Here's why. God does an action. He, He reveals his character to his people, and so when he does that, they give that name to God. So when Moses gives this name to God, there was an action behind it. There was a reason behind it. And that's what we're going to cover in this passage here. This is the the story behind the name of God, the Lord is my banner. Here's the issue with these Israelites. They came out of slavery in Egypt. There's about two and a half million people that have come out of slavery And they were rescued by God. They did not fight their way out of slavery. God did all the fighting for them. If you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments, and this is the week that they play it on the TV, if you can't stream it, right? Um, You you know the story. You've probably seen it in those classic actors. Um, But they didn't fight their way out. God did ten plagues. A plague means a punch, like a strike. He was striking the false gods of Egypt. By the way, I like crossword puzzles, and one of the crossword puzzles was an Egyptian mother goddess. I got it right. I S I. mean, I, I just, you know, pays to study your Bible. Just saying, if you do crosswords. So, one of the, you know, one of the goddesses that uh, God um, striked, uh, um, punched out, plagued out. Um, in ten plagues, and then there was, of course, the, the clincher was the Red Sea trap. Now, we don't realize this, but the trap was how God's people walked through it, the Egyptians followed, and then the sea came back, and there were no more Egyptians. Well, there were some you know, back in Egypt, but the ones that were following and pursuing. So God did that. He fought for Israel and took care of their, their, their Egyptian problem. So now they're free, they're in the desert, but now they're about to be in a pickle here because they're vulnerable. You might remember the last couple messages, they they don't have a lot of bread and water, God has to provide. And then they get attacked by a ruthless people. 
that this name will come up often in the Old Testament, called the Amalekites. So they got no army, Israel. They got nothing. Two and a half million people wandering around. They're vulnerable, and they get attacked by the Amalekites. Chapter 17, verse 8. Here we go. You ready? That blood lovely baby is ready. She's saying, preach it. That's what I'm hearing. I, you know. All right. So Amalek, or the Amalekites, came and fought with Israel at a place called Rephidim. And this, this, this army that they have, they don't, they, I should say they don't have, um, so they don't really know what to do. Now, how many leaders do we know about in terms of these two and a half million people? Up until this point, 17 chapters, we only know about two leaders. We know about Moses, so we know about Aaron. That's all we know. They're the leaders of, of Israel. But now in Scripture here, this is the point at which we get introduced to two more leaders, two new leaders. One of them uh, is, uh, you're going to hear about a lot if you read the Old Testament, and the other one not so much. So let's read verse 9. Moses says to Joshua, Joshua, how many of you heard Joshua before? All right. Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek, the Amalekites, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now if you're hearing this for the first time, if you've never read the Old Testament before, and this is new to you, you quickly pick up on, regardless where you're at, if you've ever read, that Joshua obviously has stood out to Moses because Moses has pegged him as the general of the army. That's not even really formed yet. But if you keep reading the Bible in the Old Testament, if you read the sixth book of the Bible, it's called what? Joshua. I know you're afraid to answer. Yeah, I get it. I was you know, a teacher. I understand. But yeah. You don't want to be wrong. Don't worry, no one's going to hurt you, okay? Here, we love each other here, all right? You know, you can say wrong answers, it's okay. Um, but yeah, Joshua, the sixth book is Joshua. You're going to hear all about Joshua if you read through his book, and they conquer. By the way, if you like action movies, read Joshua. I mean, there's a lot of action in there, guys, okay? It's really cool. But Joshua will become a five-star general, let me tell you, as they conquer the promised land. So we hear about Joshua, and then we hear about this other guy named Hur. Poor guy, mama named him Hur. <laughs> Spelled H-U-R, though. Um, maybe you saw the movie Ben-Hur. And no relation. I don't even know why I brought that up. Nothing there. No connection. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say a lot about Hur, just, that, just the fact that he's a leader here. So you got Moses, and you got Aaron, and you got Hur, and they go to the top of the hill to oversee the battle. Joshua and, and the army, they're fighting against the Amalekites, and this battle is going to last one day. The reason why it's only going to last one day is because the Lord is fighting for Israel again. He's fighting for Israel. Now, here's the, the scripture, okay? You're going you're gonna to love how the Lord is fighting for Israel. It's not as if he, uh, it's not, he's not doing what he did before, he's doing something different. He's fighting through the prayers of Moses and Aaron and her. So check this out, verse 11. 
Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. His legs got weary too. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Isn't that amazing? That this battle was won by Moses holding up his staff. That's what it says, right? I asked our guy, we have a guy here in church that has props everywhere, okay? His name's Barry. How many of you know Barry has props? I said, Barry, I need a prop. I need a staff. I need Moses' staff. So here it is, all right? He brought me his walking stick, all right? But this would be like a staff. Thank you, Barry, all right? And um, it's different than a shepherd's crook. You know, this was a staff that they would use to fight off the enemy. But he used this staff, and this staff has been, you've been very familiar with this staff. Remember what this staff has done? Uh, you know, Moses threw it down, it turned into a snake. It was, it was significant in all of the, uh, the, the plagues that they were there. Uh, Moses has used this to, to uh, you know, divide the Red Sea, right? That was part of the thing. And then he hit it, hit the rock, right? And water came out of the rock. You remember all this? So, so Moses has this staff, and he's holding it up in the air, and they're winning, right? I think he's doing this, okay? And they're winning. But how long can you do this for, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm always amazed and, and love it when people raise their hands in, in time of worship, and they pray, and, and they do that. And I want to do that, too, but my hands get tired. And my arms get tired, and so I do this, and I'm, you know? Got to rest for a minute. And I think Moses was probably doing that, and then he's realizing they're losing. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't, don't want him to lose. Like, there's a lot of pressure, isn't there? I mean, come on. So he's getting tired, right? So what do they, what do, they do? They put a stone under him so he can sit down, and then they're holding up. Like, there's, you know, I could ask for two volunteers. You know, come hold up my arms, you know, so I can preach this sermon, but I won't, all right? I probably would have, you know, did something like this, okay? Who does that look like? Ah, yeah, something I thought about there. But anyway, so you got this, this staff, and, and it wasn't about the staff. The staff wasn't like magical or anything like that. Like, like, you know, he's not like, you know, holding it up and like shooting lasers at the Amalek. You know, he's not doing that. This isn't Hollywood, okay? This, this is real life. This is, God is doing this. What is it all about? It's about the prayers of Moses, the prayers of Moses. Now, how do I know Moses is praying? How do I know that? You, you read the same thing. You, you looked at the scripture, what I read there. It says that he, he raised his hands. Why do I say then that he's praying? How do I know that praying is the power that's winning this battle? And the answer is because of what scripture tells us about those who raise their hands, who raise up their hands. Aaron and, and her are helping him keep his hands up and the Bible tells us in many places that when you raise your hands, you're praising God and you're praying to God. Let me just tell you a few of them. Paul told the, uh, Timothy, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands. 
Psalm 63. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Another psalm. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. I could go on and on and give you more and more verses, but here's the truth. We lift our holy hands to pray and to praise God. I've taught you before that when you pray, we often have this thought of this is how we pray. This seems to be our, our posture for prayer. We tend to do this. We tend to bow our, bow our heads in reverence. And that's okay, you can do that. But I want to be honest with you, they mostly prayed like this. This is how they prayed. And this is the, this is the posture of prayer because this is saying, God, I, I, it's you. I, I need you. And they're lifting their hands high to pray. And so Moses is lifting his hands high to the Lord. He's interceding for God's people. He's pleading that God would give them the victory, and he did. And as long as his hands were up, they were winning the war. And if he brought them down, they were losing the war. He's praying, they're winning. He's not praying, they're losing. And he had two guys to help him. And those two guys, Aaron and her, they stayed awake. Not like Peter, James, and John, who kept falling asleep. Aaron and her held up Moses' hands to pray. And isn't this just a wonderful picture of what God's church should be about today? Holding each other's hands up. Holding each other up in prayer. Isn't that what we need to be about, church? Come on. Isn't it? Get excited about that. Get excited about praying for one another. We need to do that because we won't defeat the enemy if we don't pray for one another. The worst thing you can do is isolate yourself from the body of Christ. Because you know in Scripture, if you don't know, I'll tell you. <laughs> when you isolate yourself, then the devil and the enemy attacks you. You lose. That's what he wants you to do. Go be by yourself. Go give another excuse why you can't come to church or why you don't belong to a Bible study or you don't read your Bible or you don't pray. That's what God wants. Or not God, that's what the enemy wants. God wants you to belong to the body of Christ. He talks about how important it is. Amen? Amen. Yes. Every Sunday should look like this. Every Sunday. Because we're coming together to encourage and build up one another. We need each other. So, they didn't want, uh, God didn't want Moses to forget about this experience. He didn't want his people to forget about this experience. So I'm going to read you the last two verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this down as a memorial in a book. Recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. He's not done with these people. These are ruthless people. And Moses built an altar like Abraham had done, and he called the name of the altar Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Do you know what that means directly translated, by the way? It's Yahweh Nisi, or as I said, Jehovah Nisi. The word Nisi actually means lifted up, lifted high. So if we were to directly translate the Lord is my banner, we would say the Lord lifted high. Now we know what a banner is. You know what a banner is. We don't usually call it a banner. We usually call it a flag. That's right. What's the most popular banner 
flag that people raised up today? Yeah, the American flag. If you're in America, you raise up the American flag. How many of you have an American flag that you have at your house raised up? Lots of you. Yes. And the reason why you do that is because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes unity. We are the United States of America. It's a unity thing. That's what the flag is. The flag or the banner was used for military purposes originally. They would raise up the banner, the flag, whatever symbol that they had on it, and it would rally the troops. The troops would come together at that flag, at that banner. We'll see later on in Exodus, every tribe of Israel will have their own banner raised up high. This is, so you can see, oh, where, where do I belong? There I, that's where I belong. That's my flag. That's my banner. So that's what the purpose of the banner is. And Moses is trying to impress upon them that I have lifted high the name of God and your eyes need to be on him because he is the one who will win the battles for you. He is the one who is victorious. He lifted high God's name and we should all look upon him. Isn't that what Easter is about? It's Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection, lifted high. It's Wonderful, the, the connection between Moses and Jesus. I don't know if you've really caught on to some of it. I try to point it out as I go here. But Moses, in many ways, is a type of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus. And he lived like 1,500 years prior. But he's a foreshadowing. Just let me give you some of the ways. A king tried to kill Moses when he was a baby. A king tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Moses did miracles with the sea. Jesus did miracles with the sea. Both of them fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Both delivered God's people out of slavery. Both mediated a promise, a covenant between God and man. Just a couple weeks ago, bread and water. I, I showed you the connection of how when Moses was there, bread came from heaven and water came out of a rock. And the New Testament points out that Jesus is the bread from heaven and Jesus is the rock that provides the water. So just like Moses prayed for God's people, interceded for their victory, Jesus intercedes for you for a greater victory. Jesus intercedes for you for a greater victory. In 1 Timothy, it says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You need a mediator. You need someone to help you, someone to intercede. In Hebrews, it says, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, that means at all times, those who draw near to God through him. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. In Romans 8, it says that who is to be condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. All of those verses have one thing in common. Jesus is interceding for you for a greater victory. Jesus is praying for you for a greater victory. Interceding. He makes intercession for you 
so that you can be saved from your sin. So that you can find this narrow road that leads to heaven. I've heard it before said that there are many roads that lead to heaven. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. There's one road. It's narrow, and it's the one through Jesus. So that we're no longer condemned, so that we're not separated from the love of God. Your salvation is not something you can do on your own. You need help. You need Jesus. You need the works of Jesus. Because if you could earn your way to heaven, then everybody up there would be bragging. I donated X amount of money. I saved two people's lives. I ran an orphanage. I thank God no one is going to be bragging up there. When they ask, hey, how'd you get here? One word answers, folks. Jesus. Hey, how'd you get here? Jesus. Hey, how about you? How'd you get here? Jesus. That's the answer that I like. That's how I got here. I got here by Jesus. Amen? Yeah, he did the work. And let me tell you, it was painful work. He had to be crucified. Crucifixion was one of the most, if not the most painful way to die possible. Now let me ask you a question, because this got me thinking. Do you believe God can use the terrible things in this world for his glory? Do you think God can use maybe your horrible situation for his glory? Because I believe he can. Why did the Romans use crucifixion? Why not execute people with a guillotine? Why not burn them? You know, why not some other way? Why this way of crucifixion? What was so significant about it? Well, in their mind, it was the worst way to torture someone. And then, not only to torture them, they wanted to put them up high on a cross so everybody could see how bad it was to die by crucifixion. Everybody could look up to that person and say, oh, that's horrible. And Jesus didn't see this as a coincidence. There is no coincidences with God. In John chapter 12, Jesus predicted this would be the way he would die. He said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to himself. Now, some of you might read that and think, oh, he's talking about his resurrection. No, he's not. The next verse says he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He was talking about the cross. He knew that the cross, the crucifixion, was going to be his way that the evil Romans and, the, and the, those that had put him in that position, that he would be exalted. He would be lifted high so that all would see. Crucifixion lifted high Jesus so that all who put their faith in him in his sacrifice will be forgiven. And have you sinned? The answer is yeah. I don't even need to go through the Ten Commandments. You can look in your own heart and you know that you've broken one of the commandments and if you've broken one, you've broken them all. You've separated yourself from God. We don't have to go there today. All right? But Hebrews 7.25 says that consequently he is able to save at any time those who draw near to God. He always lives to make intercession for you. So you've sinned. Okay, you've, you've sinned. Admit it. God already knows it. Admit it. And turn to Jesus. And look up to Jesus on the cross. Why? Did he die for you? Because he loves you. And you just need to ask him, for forgiveness. So what is your response today? I mean, this is what it comes to. 
I'd be a terrible preacher of God's word if I didn't ask you to make a decision. If I didn't present to you what is available to you. If I didn't tell you the good news. I mean, to not share good news is horrible. If you hear good news, don't you share it with other people? Of course you do. This is the good news. This is the best news ever that you can be forgiven. That you can be forgiven. Easter is this reminder to us that the Lord is my banner. The Lord has been lifted high. Jesus has been put on a cross for you and for me. And all we have to do is look up to him and be forgiven. That's the beauty. It's not just the fact that he was lifted up high and died for us, but he also was risen on Sunday. And he is alive, he is risen, and he lives today to intercede for all those who put their faith in him. Will you put your faith in him today? Is God drawing you to himself today? Are you ready to look up for your salvation? Are you ready to surrender to the Lord? It's really as simple as praying to God, talking to God. That's how simple salvation is. God knows your heart already. It's a simple conversation. You just tell God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I confess him as my Lord and Savior. And then you walk with him for the rest of your life. And that's a glorious walk. It's a beautiful walk. I hope, I pray that, that someday I'll hear a testimony, I'll hear someone share a story, or I'll, hear, or I'll look in someone's Bible and they'll write down, April 9th, 2023, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ at Life of Purpose Christian Church. I pray that that is what happens. I became a Christian. I came to the altar. I surrendered it all. Because that's what it comes down to. Will you come to him? If you've never, if you've never surrendered it all to Jesus, why not do it today? Today is a special day. Do it today, a day you'll never forget. I want to invite AJ and Jamie to come up and play our final song. It's a fitting song. Fitting. And as you sing the song, listen to the words, and if you want to come to the altar, the altar's here at these steps. The altar can be in your chair. You can simply bow your head or you can pray. But I, I, I just hope that you'll surrender to the Lord, that you'll look up to Him. He's lifted high for you. He intercedes for you. Today is the day. Don't let today pass. If God is moving in your heart, God is, 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 has opened your eyes to something. If, if you came to church today because you just felt like this is why I need to be here today, something's going on in me, I remember that. That's what led me to Christ. Something was moving in my spirit, and, and I just couldn't not seek the Lord and find out what was going on. And when I realized that God loved me, I surrendered my life to him, and that's been over 20 years. May today be that day. And if it's a rededication that you do for the Lord today, then please take this time to just put your eyes on Jesus and come to the altar. Let's pray. Father, may your holy word sit sweetly in our spirit. May we surrender to you. May we come to the altar knowing that your arms are open wide. Pray this in Jesus' name.